everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dr. Jill Live. Today, I have special guest, Dr. Tom Moorcroft. And well, hello, everybody. Welcome oh, to another episode my echo. of Let Dr. Me get Jill Live. I'm going to start over for the sake of recording, even if you've heard me live. So welcome to another episode of Dr. Jill Live. Today, I have my guest, Dr. Tom Moorcroft. And um, we both love to ski. So we were just talking before we get on here because you're in Utah, right, Tom? Yeah, absolutely. Are you in Park City or... Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. right on the outskirts. Beautiful place to be. <laughs> awesome, awesome. And we're going to hopefully get together this winter and, and we'll do some study of uh, complex chronic illness on the slopes. How's that sound? <laughs> oh, awesome. So as you all know, um, you can find any of my episodes on Stitcher or iTunes or YouTube. Please jump in there and rate and review and subscribe. Um, but today it is absolutely my honor to introduce my guests. We're going to be talking about glymphatic function, probably something you've not heard much about yet, but Dr. Tom is an expert. And this will really open, shed some light on complex chronic illness. Many of you out there, um, please say hello, tell us where you're from, have suffered from Lyme uh, disease or co-infections, Babesia, Bartonella, or anything else carried by a tick or a spider or mosquito, et cetera, or mold-related illness. A lot of you have suffered from that, and you know my own story with that as well. Um, but the interesting thing today is we're going to go dive deep into the brain and the glymphatic function. I'll let Tom really explain what this is. And you might find some new pearls or tips or things that would help you with these complex chronic illnesses. So please say hello, tell us where you're from, and we will jump right in. Um, Dr. Tom treats some of the sickest and most sensitive patients suffering from chronic Lyme disease, other tick-borne co-infections, mold-related illness, as well as children with infection-induced autoimmune encephalitis, also known as PAN and PANDAS. Um, he specializes in optimizing lymphatic function, the brain's detox system. So that's what we're going to talk about today. He's also the creator of the Lyme Disease Practitioner Certification and Mentorship Program and co-founder of Meditation Rx, an online community using specifically designed meditations to awaken healing and overcome chronic conditions. Dr. Tom, I always have so much fun talking to you. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Dr. Jill. It's so nice to be here. It's an honor, and hopefully we'll have a really cool conversation, um, shed some light on some things, and give people some practical tips to help move their healing forward. Yeah, I, I know that we will, and I'm so excited <laughs> to talk to you. Um, we recently both spoke at the ICI conference, and you gave great information. So let's start, though. I always love to start with, like, how did you get here? How did you get into this? Tell us a little bit about your story and your own journey. Because often, as we talked before we get on, this sheds the light and kind of like gives us and brings that passion and purpose to our lives, even though sometimes it's through suffering, right? <laughs> right, right. Well, yeah. And sometimes through that suffering, we get our we, the greatest learning and greatest sort of like calling, we realize. And so I was actually at the University of Vermont. Um, I just loved playing outside, hiking and skiing and all the, the good stuff that we always talk about. And I was on a wilderness trip and I got injured and I, I was just like, it was somebody playing a practical joke in a situation where you shouldn't have. And so I just was, you know, I was very interested in, in medicine at that point, just from a prevention perspective, but not really being a doctor. Cause the reason I went to school was to get into ecology and save the planet. So I was talking to all these adults who were like, you know, my, my age and older, you know, and we were like doing the research. And every time I talked to people, they were like lame. They, they just wanted to talk about research and not actually take like real action. So I said to myself, like, who will take real action? And it's the kids. 
right? Kids get passionate and then you can change the way they act for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the Institute of Ecosystem Studies in Millbrook, New York. I think they changed their name to the Cary Institute, but um, basically I went there to teach outdoor education and learn how to do it better so that I could really work with the kids and get them excited about, you know, integrating my passion for outside in, into their lives, if that was also something they liked. And then in, in, during that time, I got, I ended up, um, my boss found me one day after being a super high performer. She's, she came over to me and she's like, you're, you're not getting any work done. What's going on? And I need this in an hour. So she comes back to my desk about an hour later and I'm staring at the wall and there's literally a puddle of drool all over my chest and my belly. And she's like, I think you need to go to the doctor. And so, you know, at that point I was kind of like lost. So I went to the doctor and within- and How, about what age were you, Tom? I'm sorry. 23. Okay. 23. Young. Yeah. Yeah. Super young. And so the guys goes, here's your doxycycline because you've got classic Lyme disease and, you know, take 10 days and you'll be fine. And so I laid on the floor for four days and at 23, my parents had to help me to the bathroom and I had- sweat drenching sweats alternating with freezing cold shakes but then you know 10 days later I felt fine uh and then over the next eight years they decided that um as brain fog fatigue and joint pain crept in and ultimately irritability because no one could tell me what was wrong that I was depressed and then I was bipolar and then I had ADHD and then ultimately my favorite was I go to my primary I said look I've done all the meds. I've done everything you guys have asked for the last like five and a half years. Please help me. And I said, I have brain fog, fatigue, and you know, this horrible joint and muscle pain, and I need help. And he goes, I know you have fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue. And I was just like, you oh, gotta be labels, me. right? <laughs> labels with no, no way, like it didn't give me a new way to figure out how to get better or even what the underlying cause was. So I kind of just gave up on everything and I, I kind of went inside and started, uh, you know, I was in medical school at this point because I kind of had switched a little with my own health. I was like, I gotta look into this. And somebody gave me a yoga DVD one day. And so I just looked at it and really dove deep into Ashtanga yoga. And I started to really, I started to notice that my body hurt less as I started to stretch just gently and granted, Guys, I could only touch my kneecaps. I was wow. 20. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty pathetic, right? I mean, I, was, I had been an athlete until all this happened. So, but still, that was way tight. But anyway, Jill, in the, in, the, in the end, it was like my brain couldn't calm down until I did like six or eight months of yoga. Then I could sit and I could start to really feel it. And what was interesting is even though I was in medical school at an osteopathic school, we were at the time, I think one of 13 that had a nutrition class, but it was like a pamphlet like this big. And really it was like B12 is this. I started to change my diet before I even knew anybody who knew about diet because my body had said so. And so I went into medical practice. I thought I was going to be an osteopath who did, you know, essentially cranial sacral work and get paid to meditate. And <laughs> here's your vitamin D and let's get the energy flowing better but I found one person who had Lyme disease and they just felt different than everybody else I treated. Didn't know who to send her to. And I remembered back to when I was sick and I was like, I'm going to help you out. Even though I didn't even know what I was doing yeah. because I had only been taught the old stuff. So that I just, that started it and I helped her. She referred one person and then it, the rest of it is just history. And, you know, you just dive in and I knew how she was suffering and I didn't want her to have to suffer for as long as I did. And so I just kind of grabbed the bull by the horns. And so here we are today. 
Oh, Dr. Tom, thanks for sharing that because it just, there's so much compassion and love for you, for your story and for what you've been through, because that's often as healers, I really feel like our souls are kind of called to that. We don't really know it until we hit our twenties or thirties and like find out right. oh, we're actually supposed to do this. But part of a healer's journey is suffering. Like it is, it's part of our school, our education. And I have suffered a lot as well. Breast cancer, Crohn's, mold-related illness, Lyme and co-infections. And the truth is it was so hard in those times. But when I sit in front of a patient and they're describing their journey through cancer, their journey through Crohn's or their journey through mold, there's such a depth of understanding. Often I'll shed a tear because I, I feel them. And I know, like you said, that right suffering, soul, right? it does. And you're like, and, and for both of us, I think there's this passion of what can we possibly do to help the world? Because there is so much suffering. So I love that. I hate that you would suffer, but I love that it brings the heart of a healer to your practice. And even that curiosity, right? Like that's the other driving factor in the, in your story, there was this clear pattern of this curiosity, like what else? This doesn't make sense. Fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue are just labels. They're good labels. Right. They describe something. They don't tell us why. So yes. you obviously, and you obviously, I love the way you got into it because it was much more of a meditative um, mind body piece. I love that because I really feel like the next level of healing is this stuff we're talking about. So let's talk briefly about what would you prescribe? How would you do mind body yoga, those pieces? And then let's go right into glymphatic and how those two, like when did you discover glymphatics? Yeah, they tie in so well. And it's interesting because um, in the, um, as you know, like I love telling my story because it, it, it really motivates people and we can connect. And the other part is as I, when I was young, I could feel, I was so connected to the planet and I was kind of trained out of it, right? Like being so connected with not just the physical and the emotional, but the, the spiritual and the energetics of who we are. And I think that that was part of the reason I went through all this because, you know, we talk a lot about disease and dis-ease and hyphenating it. And it was, I was in, in, in a state of imbalance. And I find that a lot of my patients, it's like, I don't think that they deserve Lyme or mold illness. I don't want them to suffer at all. But they can also look in and say, where was my life out of balance that made me a little more susceptible than maybe my neighbor? And how can I learn from that and then inspire others? So, you know, I'd always been kind of more spiritual than religious, even though I kind of grew up in a religious household. And I just wanted more. And like, I would be out hiking and I was like the, the energy and the connection, the ground into the planet. So I'd always been drawn to it. And the thing that was interesting, I think, Dr. Jill, was like when I was, when I was, I was, you know, type A, you know, I'm like mountain biking and I'm racing and I'm in medical school and it's just like, you know, pile it on because I, I said I could never calm my brain down. And I just, I programmed myself to believe I was ADHD and I couldn't calm down when my nervous system was so hijacked by the way I thought and also what other people had labeled me as like with the ADHD and yeah, I don't, I'm not the most world's most focused person, but it's like a superpower and we all have our own unique superpower. So when I started to get into the yoga, what was interesting was the energy that was flowing was just not flowing everywhere. And when I was able to open it up and allow it to flow where it wanted to, which also at times I had to experience some uncomfortable moments and just allow myself to understand that's part of healing, like being able to eventually in about eight months, put my chin on my knees from not barely being able to touch them. You know, there, there's a lot of discomfort along the way, but I learned that if I was, it's interesting, I had a really great teacher and he said that yoga should be breath, it, like it's movement on breath at the, at the beginning levels. Yes. So he said, if you're not able to fully breathe, you're pushing too hard. Mm -hmm. And I had never really found a gauge to call, to understand when I should push 
and when I shouldn't. And I've just taken that lesson into the work that you and I do in, in understanding that sometimes we got to push a little bit, but sometimes we got to put the brakes on and that gets us to the end faster. And this breathing, it was like, oh my God, now the energy can do its healing work, whether that's a Herxheimer reaction or I'm just stretching and breathing into it. And once the energy started to flow, I actually could understand what was just me not allowing it to do its work and what needed to kind of be treated and go away. And so I was able to learn a respect for the way my body was healing itself and realize my body hadn't betrayed me. Yes. It was really working so hard to heal me. It was my mind assuming it knew the answer. That was more of the, the accidental betrayal, if you will. Oh, Dr. Tom, I love what you're saying. I can so relate on so many levels. And the things that come to mind are number one, that left brain, right brain, right? Like we're in medical school and, and I come from like this analytical engineer family and they're brilliant. I love them, but I thought I was one of them. And I was actually this like hippie rebel, spiritual creative, you know, and I, I was in that family. So I tried to become that, I tried oh, to suppress my sensitive nature, my right side, my creative side. And I tried to become this. I went into bioengineering medical school, very masculine, very allopathic, very driven. And I suppress this all this side. And now we were just talking before I'm writing a book, doing a documentary. I'm, be I'm becoming this much more um, creative artist. And we were just talking about creating space for that too, right? And that's my true nature. But it's actually this combination because in medical school, I don't know about you, but it sounds like our experience is similar. Is it's so driven by the analytical left mind that you start to not trust your intuition and you start to not, you start to lose touch with your spiritual self. And as I've gotten reacquainted with that part of myself and become more kind to that part of myself, instead of saying, you know, shut up, you don't know what you're talking about and in integrated these right and left parts. I have so much more wisdom to help patients. I have so much more healing within myself. And I hear that in your same journey, like you, the, the, how you touch base with nature, how you were so connected. I feel that too. And I think that's the spiritual right brain creative part of ourselves, but there's wisdom there. Right. And we kind of say, oh, yeah. well, that's not because that's not medicine. That's not wise. But the truth is those two together are, breathe brilliance as far as solutions. So that's number one. Number two, I hear you saying, like me, we're driven, we're pushing. And what we are is we're putting the sympathetic system in a tone that's like way up here, right? Like if it's like a scale of zero to 10, we're at a nine all the time. And that literally will completely suppress our immune system. And our limbic system is completely fight or flight all the time. We can't heal there. And what you're talking about is the yeah. same path I've found to healing is like going down. But what happens is if you have old trauma or old pain or old suffering, when you're at a high state, like a nine out of 10, you just suppress that. You don't feel it. I didn't have anger. I didn't have sadness for years. I didn't have pain. But when you start to down level, whether it's yoga or meditation or sitting with yourself or being quiet or being in nature, the stuff bubbles up, right? And it's uncomfortable. So we have to be oh gosh, okay right? which a, with a level of not only uncertainty, but uncomfortable and anger and sadness and all these emotions. But as we do that, it's almost like the most kind thing we can do to our body because it's saying, I trust you to be okay, even if it's sad, even if it's painful, even if it's hard. And our body will literally, our soul will respond by helping us to heal. Mm. It's so true. And you know, it's interesting because um, as we keep trying to steer us, towards glymphatics, which this yeah. whole conversation actually does. One of the things that comes up so much for me is the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism when we talk about safety in the limbic system. And what's interesting was in my life, when there's a big change, a lot of times it's, I've taken the time, I've done everything right. I've done the, um, you know, like even like, even the other day, like I, I didn't sleep, I, I don't have sleep issues. I sleep great. 
but I, I was up all night and I was like, what just happened? And, and then I was a little irritable the next day. And my wife goes to me like, you know, every time you get really close and you do some deep work, this happens. And a lot of people will experience right as they're about to make this huge shift, something kind of really big blocks their way. And I've heard it described many ways, but I love the safety conversation because if we're not, not if we can't understand we're safe, we can't heal. And the areas of the brain that allow us to understand we're safe are also ones that Lyme has been shown to negatively impact. So Lyme physically could put you in this unsafe zone. And I would, I would be willing to bet that things like Bartonella and even mycotoxins, if we did enough spec scans, we'd find that out. But I was thinking about this a lot. I'm like, why did, it's almost like that self-sabotage and why does it happen so frequently in our people? And why does the community talk a lot about kind of like this illness mentality? And what I realized is that it's a lot of it's about familiarity and, and unfamiliarity. And when you're a kid, like our kids want to watch the same show over and over. They want to watch the same movie. They want to listen to the same music. And the adults are like, oh my God. Yeah. But it's familiar. So it's safe. Yeah. And that's just a normal developmental thing. So if you think about like when I got Lyme disease, when I was first sick, I was so pissed off. I was like, I'm sick and I need to get better. But as I'm chronically sick over time, that actually becomes a, a more familiar state than wellness. And so by accident and through evolution, my, my nervous system and my heart, even to some degree, starts to view that it's safe. So now when we treat someone and we get them better, or they take a big step forward, or they have a flare, a Herxheimer type thing, that's no longer safe. And you're like, why don't you want to get better? That's what you came to me for. But it's an interesting piece of how the limbic system works with safety. Yeah. And so... I always try to get people to work on the things that they love in life and focus on that so that even when these moments come up, they can go back to that sense of love and gratitude. Because as you mentioned, we, we see that our immune system gets suppressed by stress. And when we're in love and gratitude, even if we just have to set a reminder on our phone to get us there for a moment a day, we get that immune boost and we can improve things like heart rate variability. And these are all really important because in the end, they, um, when we go and look at glymphatic function, this, everybody wants to detoxify, you know, and I'm like, the first thing you need to detoxify is your emotions and your trauma and all that, you yes. know, unless you're in the acute state, but then it's like, let's look at how we actually detoxify the body. And I just, as an osteopath, I'm so fortunate. We look, look at how the body functions, you know, and so the lymphatic system is how we get all those toxins out. And in our arms and legs, it's about muscle contraction and movement. And in our midsection here, in our chest and our belly and our pelvis, and thinking about even healing people with ulcerative colitis or Crohn's, it's, it's pressure gradient changes. So then we need to change, we need to breathe deeply, which is why all of us are saying, hey, breathe into your belly, allow your pelvic floor to descend and find time. Because not only is that going to calm your solar plexus, which is kind of like the your second brain area, the nervous system of the gut, but it, it'll physically clean things up. But as it'll tone down the nervous system, then it feeds back to calming the vagus nerve, which then gets us into the head and the head, the way the head drains and we detoxify our brain isn't through supplements or IVs. Primarily it's through sleep and deep sleep. Mm -hmm. And so there's this cool system that we've been talking about that glymphatic so, and what happens is there's arteries all through our brain and they're along the side of them. We've got the, the cerebrospinal fluid comes in and it moves into the brain substance 
and actually just kind of like creates a fluid wave with this interstitial fluid. And essentially, both of these are almost completely water. So the water inside the head, and we're just pushing through the brain between arteries and the veins. And then along the sides of the veins, this water drains and that dirty water comes out along a lot of our cranial nerves, especially about 30% through our nose. Mm. So it's kind of a, but none of, but you can't, none of this will function well unless, or I, let me step back. It doesn't function optimally unless we're getting good sleep. Mm. So that's how, when we're working on our spirituality, our energy and calming, going from that sympathetic or the, that really frozen parasympathetic down to the joy and the love gratitude part of the parasympathetics that's actually one of our best brain detoxifiers and drainers is because it calms the nervous system so we can start to sleep better. Wow, so this is huge. So lymphatics are the drainage system that's outside the blood vessels, kind of like the lymphatics of the brain, if I'm saying that Correct. right. Absolutely. A really simplified version. And again, it's draining toxins and, and, and all that stuff that's happening. It's while we sleep and deep sleep is key. So Tom, um, we have a lot of patients who uh, did our tracking, like with their aura ring or whatever, and either aren't getting good deep sleep or getting like five, 10 minutes a night. Where do you start with people who aren't getting good deep sleep? Because that's a big question. I bet a lot of listeners are curious about what you have to say. Oh my gosh. Right. (laughs) You know, and again, like the, like the famous functional medicine responses, well, it kind of depends. Right. Right. (laughs) Yes. Very specific, but I mean, there, there's definitely some things. I mean, um, you know, we, we look at sleep hygiene. I mean, certainly there's so many, you know, your bed is for two things when you're an adult, sleep and sex. And if you're a kid, it's for just one of those and it's not the second one. Um, and so we need to create like a sleep sanctuary. And so for me, you know, cool, dark rooms help you sleep. I have sleep routines and, and I really recommend people say, and sleep routines start hours before yes. bed. So it may, you, you, we want to get off the screens whenever we can. If we absolutely can't, we want to have blue blockers or removing the blue from our screen, but we want to have a de-stress ritual. And one of the things that I notice is that like a lot of my patients tell me that they have a hard time sleeping. And then I, they tell me on and on and on about how hard it is to get to sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, what about all the good things that go on in your life? And so I think about updating my operating system. What, what are those constant thoughts I'm thinking about over and over? And if they're saying I can't go to sleep, well, then maybe I might want to change that a little bit. Yeah. So I have a right, um, it's like neuro-linguistic programming, right? We say that and our subconscious is like, well, you've said you can't sleep. So I must make that happen. And then it's done. We can't sleep. So I love that. Uh, yeah. that we could retrain and re actually verbalize a more positive. Yeah. And just like, think about whatever is in your head or in your mouth like, or coming out of your mouth is literally the program that you're running all day long. So think about what your program is. Tell your doctor and maybe a support person that either, you know, your basic symptoms and then let it go. We have a um, patient commitment agreement when people come to see me. And part of our agreement is that you get to tell me your full story exactly that many times, just once. And outside of that, I want you to make a commitment to yourself that after you write it down and we have it documented that you're allowing it to go because you put it in our hands and we have it safe in our medical record. So it's there for anyone who needs it. And then the only time we go back to it is if we need it for medical treatment. And then we go back to focusing on what you want, which is like good sleep. And one of the, uh, being the medical school type person that we talked about earlier, I like to make things really complicated. So then I said, okay, I've done, I've done all this training and all kinds of things, but it's so hard to get to that question of like, how do I just get to bed? So one of my favorite things to do is really simple. 
at the end of the day, I give myself three to four minutes and I grab a piece of paper and paper is better than like a tablet, obviously. And I write down three wins for the day. And I just write down three things that are great. And if I had a really lousy day, I just write down three lessons because those are sometimes the biggest yeah. wins. And then what you realize is that sometimes it doesn't have to be a big win. It's just recognizing you had wins. Yeah. And then what I do is I look those over and then I write down three wins I'm going to have for tomorrow. And I think about the things that I just want to get done. And then I just put it down and I go to bed. And then everybody's like, well, like, why do you write down the three wins for tomorrow? And part of that is because as soon as I say tomorrow, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, your brain's going to, your conscious mind starts to say how you're not going to do it. Like tomorrow night, I'm going to sleep well. Well, immediately you're going to be, well, in the past, I haven't slept well. And you can't do that because you're going to be stressed out. And so what's really cool is when you eventually fall asleep, you dissociate from your conscious mind. And then your, your subconscious actually gets tapped into super conscious knowledge. And now you can create this. And now if you just bear with me for a couple of days and do this, what you'll find is when you wake up in the morning, you read them over. So that's 15 seconds. So you spent all of three minutes and 15 seconds planning. And by the end of the day, like three or four, you're going to not be able to do three because you're going to have 20 wins for the day. And you're going to just be planning your whole next day because it just, and what's really cool is you start to see the gratitude build for these little wins because you're, you're savoring it. It's like you take a sip of wine and instead of just chugging it, you're like, you just taste it and you just let all the flavors change over time. And then what will happen the three or four days in is you'll start to, you'll feel this lovely energy in your heart. And all your energy will sink and you'll ground and you'll take a nice deep breath and go, oh, and my life is not, is really got some good stuff in it. And there are also some bad things. And then sleep starts to get easier, mm-hmm. but it's like, sometimes it's like work. Like when I did the yoga, or if you want to run a marathon or some, for some of us, we want to go from our couch to our bathroom and back, we have to work out a little bit to do that. So work out that mental, emotional muscle so that it will your brain wants you to heal and your heart wants you to heal. And so just look at it. And, and then like, even as I'm talking about, I'm just, my energy is getting so calm and I'm like, I want to go to bed now. <laughs> I know. No, I love that. Cause you're really, you do. And we often, we see what we're programmed to see. So if you're always looking for what's wrong, you're always looking for what's going to bad's going to happen. You're always looking for the storm that's going to come. You're going to see it. You're going to see it. But if we're shift our view to look for, I literally have a friend who's very negative and I ask, whenever I talk to her, I ask at the end of the day, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And for a while, it's like, there's just silence, right? Like, uh, and now it's like, I'm, I'm kind of helping to shift that to more like what, what good happened today versus all the bad. And it really does make a difference. And then, like you said, I love the subconscious will has no brain of its own. Like the conscious argument is all of our consciousness, right? The subconscious yeah. will just do what we tell it to do. It, it doesn't argue. It doesn't question. And years and years ago, when I was suffering from Crohn's and trying to reprogram some of my brain, I would take walks and I would say every day in every way, I'm stronger and healthier, wealthier and more resilient, younger, more beautiful. I will overcome all obstacles. I will outlast all adversity. Mm. Things are turning in my favor. And literally every one of those things has started to like, I feel like, oh my gosh, it's I'm stronger. I'm healthier. I'm you know, all the things that I'd said really are manifesting and it just started to become part of, like, I can say it without thinking now. And sometimes when I walk upstairs, I'll just, it'll just come to mind. But what happened is that my subconscious just took it and ran with it. And like, we've got to make these things happen because Jill says it's true. (laughs) Right. You know, it's really interesting too, because like, there's so many little, little tidbits where you can play around with this. But one of the things I did was every time I came to a stoplight, I would feel my energy. 
and and but it was be in my body because I'm very empathic. So a lot of us were empathic, and a lot of people with chronic illness either were empathic or they get turned on to their empathy, yeah. and then it, they get flooded from yeah. outside because a lot of empaths lose their their border their barrier. Yes, like so it's almost like the the edge of our aura is like not quite permeable, right <laughs> it's very permeable because we haven't decided how yeah. to turn it up and down when we need to mm -hmm. and so we have to learn that and with chronic illness it's like boom oh my goodness it's just it's on and yeah. so one of the things I did was just ground in my body and start to be aware of it but the one thing that as you were talking about that that I I really remembered was I would find it was great almost everywhere except there's a couple of spots and so one of the things I learned was that if I can just say that those areas of energy that really aren't me and I, they, I, you know, they're, they're kind of stuck, but they're also maybe from outside, like maybe from lime or from mold even, those have a hundred percent, it's totally cool for them to exist. I totally respect their, their existence, but they're just not welcome in my energy and in my body anymore. Because it's okay for you to be out in the ether or wherever, but it's just not in me. And it allowed me to really get this thing and, and, and to feel grounded because a lot of us just get so, our boundaries get so lost because we're just looking everywhere and we're like emotional sieves when we're not feeling well. That's the beauty of it is we can learn to be in that place. And you know, from a sleep perspective, I, I have people who have, still have a hard time and if you're just an insomnia person because you stay up too late or you're on TV too much, I'm like, hey, get up in the morning a little early and go exercise. Well, a lot of our people can't do that. So we, you know, I've created meditations where we have binaural beats that actually, if you put your headphones on, help your brain calm okay, down. Love this. Talk a little, I'm totally on board. I love this. <laughs> well, just a little bit about, because it's different frequencies in the ears, right? Yeah. And it's just like, I mean, you know, there's, if you want to get to a certain like, you know, a Delta brain frequency or whatever, which is getting you to deep sleep, they, I mean, this, I'd like doing simple math rather than the math that the, the people who make these tracks do, but it's like, essentially you have 14 beats over here. You've got 10 beats over here. These cool parts of your brain called the olives of all places in your brain um, actually um, will just subtract it out and just leave you with four. Cool. And so you're, you're basically, when they talk about binaural beats or brainwave entrainment, while listening to this, they actually can slowly and uh, but surely bring those frequencies closer. And so your brain subtracts it down, down, down until you're getting, until you're kind of resonating with sound, which brings your frequency of your brain waves down. And then before you know it, you're falling asleep. And I couple that with meditation tracks where I'm walking people through a lot, like uh, the one that I like the most and my patients seem to give me the best feedback on. And is like we walk through different areas of your body and just letting them become more fluid and releasing any of the tension that you have. And then in that particular going to bed, I kind of let go of the energy talk and we just really allow it to be about fluidity and relaxation. And then people are finding that they're falling asleep that way as well. That makes so much sense. I love that you do that for patients. And I love the binaural beats because I've always felt like those have been really helpful. Do you ever recommend like for me, PEMF, the PEMF mats, um, some of those frequencies have really, I sleep well, so I'm one of those fortunate. That's, that's not my area, but I, what I, when I track it, I went from, you know, like I say an hour and a half of deep sleep, which was great for seven hours to all of a sudden like two or three hours of deep in maybe five and a half hours. So my, my it would like compressed and I would have like 30, 40, sometimes 50% deep sleep, which is to me crazy. Holy crap. 
Like, yeah, literally I'll get a 50% night at five. And, and, and what happens with that is I normally get seven hours and I need about seven hours, six and three quarter. But on those nights when I get a lot of deep, I can wake up at five and a half hours and feel like amazing. Because, right. I've had all that deep. Yeah. I feel like superhuman in the sleep realm because I've got that hack. And for me, the mat was the thing that really shifted it. I think that's so key because I, I definitely use PEMFs and, you know, I have a mat, I've got a little portable device. I mean, yep. I just think for the right now, some of my patients are super. Don't you think empaths, I'm saying, but like, don't you think we, we are probably more sensitive than the average person because we feel the energy. Well, and it's interesting because some of my people feel it and they're like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. Oh my God. And I'm like, because <laughs> I feel it too. I actually can feel yeah. it from across the room when you're yeah. on it and your body loves it and you yeah. just, but you're moving like I was in the beginning when that energy starts to move. Yeah. And in more natural ways, you don't know, you're not comfortable with it. So it's that unfamiliar lack of safety thing. Yeah. So we work in that direction. But yeah, I, I love PEMF and so many different frequencies and the showman resonance are. Yeah, yeah that's the one I use to get the sleep. Holy moly, right? It's right. just like floating like in the embryo. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And for those who don't know, Schumann frequency is basically the earth's magnetic. So if you walk barefoot on the beach or you like are actually in nature, you're probably getting some of that. And if you love nature or feel calm by nature, like both Tom and I do, that's probably a piece of, for me, that's the frequency that gives me the, the best deep sleep. Absolutely. And, and then I also have a, a sort of a higher end grounding pad because I looked at a lot of the I, I actually take the the um, all my tri-field meter and then all these yeah. other millivolt meters and I've tried multiple ones and I found one that really works to bring down the actual EMFs rather than just saying it. And, and so I'm recharging myself with the negative ions from the planet every single night. And I'm also pro protecting myself to some degree from the EMFs around me. Oh, and the, oh my gosh, I almost forgot one of my favorite tips is talking about EMFs and electricity. Wi-Fi is terrible for sleep. Yeah. So, but you don't have to worry about it because it's not about none. It's just like even mold exposure. It's not about none. Mm -hmm. I think of it as two things. Like we've got an ability to deal with crap and we have amount of crap to deal with. And when yeah. the amount of crap you have to deal with is above what you can, well, then that's what you feel like. And so we have just two goals, you know, bring down the amount of crap and improve our ability to tolerate it if we want to really simplify it. So from a Wi-Fi perspective, um, a lot of people with inflammatory diseases and even like rheumatoid or, or um, lupus and a lot of these other things. If we took the red blood cells and we did a live smear, you'll see stacking of red cells often called Rouleau bodies. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. If you do that to someone um, pre and post Wi-Fi exposure, if you turn on the Wi-Fi router, you'll actually see your red cells stack as if you had inflammation. And you can actually look at brain uh, wave studies and see that like it, there's more irritability. But the beauty about Wi-Fi is it's the the distance is huge so this is why we want all the electronics out of your room in general um, but the other part is i for wi-fi routers um i just tell people to get a timer mm -hmm. so that they can set it and forget it and at whatever time is bedtime generally you have it turn off and then you have it turn on a few minutes after you wake up that way everybody in the house gets to calm down and sleep better and you don't have to think about it and remember to do it every night. And it's um, that's brilliant because I've heard of switches and stuff. But again, unless you have a switch wired by your bed, the timer is brilliant. I love that idea. I really so it's like eight bucks or something and you have it for the rest of your life. You know, brilliant. it works easy. Thank you. Because I have I actually right beside me a professional grade wife meter for RF. <laughs> so I actually test these things. And sadly, my house is not um, 
why I'm wired yet. It's still um, Wi-Fi. Fortunately, I'm not super sensitive, but I know I could feel better if I right. Did that. And the cool part, Jill, is like when you when I have a lot of people who live like in New York City and stuff, right? Oh yeah. And they're like, well, what about that? I can't get away from it. I turn my phone on. I see 75 Wi-Fi. Yeah. I'm like, great. That's not a problem because it's about distance. Yes. The, yes. We live in a world where we don't need to be afraid of everything. Right. We could be, but we're not going to change the the rest of New York City. But we can take us, we can just give our immune system and our nervous system a little more calm. And that's really what it is, is little things add up at, in my experience. And so, so just you, to you summarize to... your router distance from your human body, that's what you're talking about. So if you either yes. have it in the farthest room from your bedroom, or you turn it off at night or both, and same mm -hmm. with the phone, I've noticed a massive difference in sleep, of course, when my phone is off. So you, and it's not even nowadays, the, the high end 12, 13, 14, I, iPhones, sometimes still transmit when they're off so like you have to be really careful there's a new yeah, yeah. i wouldn't even go into and there's that. like you know i do i know i i have my i should say on airplane mode i should clarify that there are i think some of the newer ones are actually transmitting when they're off but either way at least turn them off or yeah and and like you know i have a mom who's almost 83 i've got you know brothers and family members with younger kids and everything so i like 12 i've always heard about 12 feet away from your bed's pretty good so i put mine on airplane mode and yeah, so it's Wi-Fi turned off on the phone, Bluetooth turned yeah. off on the phone, and I put it on Do Not Disturb. And my favorites are only the yeah. emergency people because I don't we don't have regular phones anymore. Yeah. So I just put it pretty far away as if it's almost in the other room. But the other part that's really interesting, you, I have a video of this somewhere. Um, we were looking at we were testing the grounding pads to see how well they really work. My daughter on one of those tour share lamps with the, the dimmer. My daughter grabbed the thing and we got a baseline reading. She walked over to it and hugged it. And it was like 13,000 What It was insane. It was like the thing made a noise I'd never heard before. So one of the things that we think about is trying to keep the head of our bed away from the uh, sock, the, like the outlets. Yes. But the, the thing to remember is whenever, whatever you plug into that, that wire becomes another transmitter. So not to go crazy and paranoid, but just keep the, if you have a light by your bed, have it going away, not closer. Yeah, you know, just and I can, I can like uh, totally vouch for that because I've had a professional building biologist come in and assess and the head of my bed, which has an outlet, which has my lamp and my, um, you know, uh, phone cord charger and about five things plugged into it um, was like the highest by a long shot compared to everywhere else. So I did the same thing. I pulled the plugs and put them away from the bed. And even that, yeah. these small things, it doesn't have to be, you know, um, surround yourself with aluminum foil. <laughs> Right. <laughs> it's so funny, like years ago, like this is funny, um, at, you know, at, at um, Mindshare one time, they were asking for social media haters and just to kind of send yeah. something in. I had done a talk for iLabs about this. And I said, look, a lot of my patients feel better. When I first learned about, this is another thing that people should be aware of with sleep because mm -hmm. now I sleep great. I've slept great for 15 years. I haven't had, well, actually no, 12 years. I haven't had, a, and before I forget, I have not, I had 13 years from the tick bite and infection, eight years later got diagnosed. And now, then it was 13 years till I was symptom free, but I've been 15 years. Sorry, I keep saying 15. I just realized I've been practiced 15 years I know, right? last week, but um, 13 years symptom free. Wow, that's amazing. So you can get better. And part of that is just, you know, um, I just, I, I lost track of the other part. Oh, sleep. Um, when I first started to sleep, Joe, I was four hours, 12 hours. It didn't matter. I said, sleep when you're dead. But when I real, when I learned the, the importance of sleep for brain detoxification, I started to go on this mission to learn how to sleep. For the first 10 months, I was more tired in the morning 
And I, but I started getting energy at the end of the day. And after that 10 month period, so over that 10 month period, I would get better and better energy. And then ultimately I woke up rested, but my body had a sleep debt. And so if you're getting better sleep through all the things that we're talking about, your meditation practice, maybe your supplements or peptides or whatever you're using, or just turning off your Wi-Fi, you will probably be more tired for a while as your body is getting more and more sleep and wants more and more to heal. And then the other thing that I really, so it's normal to actually feel more tired when your sleep treatment is working yeah. for a while. And then what was really interesting was my sleep had gotten better. And I went to a conference where I learned about all this Wi-Fi stuff. So I go home, like turn off my Wi-Fi router. I did not sleep for two weeks. I had the horrible insomnia. And it was like detoxification. It's that nine out of 10, right? Your body's here like, what the heck just happened? <laughs> right. right, it is. And so then, but two weeks later, I felt fine. And then like three weeks, you know, so then I'm sleeping great again. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm up all night and I'm like, what? And this happened three or four times. And then I go, hey, wait, let me see if I didn't turn off the Wi-Fi and I forgot to turn off the Wi-Fi. So whenever the Wi-Fi is left on, I'm kind of awake. Yeah. And I'm like, that's really interesting. So yeah. it's just to be aware of, that's where I came up with the, put a timer on it mm -hmm. so brilliant best tip of the whole thing so as we truly well there's all kinds of good tips i didn't mean it that way but i mean like that's a really practical one i'm going to go do that um so let's uh just kind of summarize and leave i would love to leave listeners with what's the most important thing if people are like where do i start we talked about sleep but what's kind of just takeaway give us a little takeaway point here i remember really clearly standing in my apartment in medical school going, I can't believe, I mean, at this point, I might've been 27, 28, and I've been five years into this journey of just, just a shit show of feeling crappy. And I just remember really clearly going, I, I saw my whole life in front of my, me. And I was like, I've got two choices. And what I feel like right now is giving up and just crawling in a hole. Or I just say, I already feel that way. And there is no way in hell I'm not making it to my dreams. I was newly married. I wanted a family. I loved playing outside and all those things seemed to be going away from me. And the moment I said it was more important to me to focus on what I wanted than describing my illness. And I, because I'm never going to forget about my illness, right? It's there. Like we're not pretending it doesn't exist. In fact, that tells me where my biggest growth potential is. But, but I really, rem I just clearly remember the exact moment that just like with my wife, the second that we knew that we were meant to be together, it was the exact same moment for both of us. And this moment of healing, it was when we talk about quantum leaps in healing or quantum leaps in anything, I think it's more the quantum leap is the instant you make the decision that you are worthy of being having all your goals, you're worthy of healing, and that no matter how hard it is, you're going to give it the shot to go there. Because then it opened up all the doors where I learned all this stuff. Before that, I was just struggling. And, and it's not to say just think about the positive thing and you'll get better because yeah, that might work, but realistically, you need to do a lot of stuff. Right. But it just gave me this, it gave me hope rather than hopeless. And when we look at the way the brain functions in, in safety, hopeless is without hope. And when we move to hope and gratitude and just the joy of the possibility that shifts our immune system up. It shifts our heart rate variability up. It shifts our parasympathetic nervous system up, which then allows us to sleep. And then we can kind of do all the stuff we've been talking about. But until we declare that we're personally more important than our illness, 
Yeah. And, you know, we're going to, we're just going to, it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy the other way. I love that, Tom. I love it. Love it. Cause you really have to believe that something else is possible. And that belief opens the door to an amazing experience, even with difficulties, it's still an amazing journey. Tom, thank you so much for sharing your life, your uh, work, all that you've done. We could talk a lot longer. We'll have to do this again, but thank you truly. And thank you for all that you've gone through in order to learn to help other people. Yeah, well, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And thanks for everyone listening. And thanks for all the work you've done. You've always been, it's so nice to be able to have a conversation because you've always been such an inspiration. And now we get to hang out and do things. So yeah, let's and do And the skiing's coming, right? Definitely skiing. <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much, Tom.